Hi students, we're going to talk about book five in Homer's Odyssey today, as well as a quick review of book four, and probably get into uh, book six just a little bit, just up until we see Odysseus take his rest for the night. So, first and foremost, just a couple of questions from yesterday. We heard two very bizarre stories. The first story was a story given to us by Helen. It was a story in which which character from the Achaean army disguised himself as a dismal vagabond in order to find his way into Troy. Yes? And which woman, who's actually telling the story, ends up attempting to, or, or sees him for who he is, and then ends up giving him a bath? Yes? Helen. Helen. And this is a bit awkward. Why? Because Helen, who is telling the story about herself and Odysseus, happens to be in the presence of whom when she is telling this story. Yes? Odysseus. Odysseus' son, which is awkward, but even more awkward, I would suggest, would be Menelaus. Menelaus, her husband, whom she has cheated on, not only with Paris, but also with Deiphobus' brother, and possibly also with whom? So we see here. Odysseus, too. Bit awkward, bit awkward. And, well, we know that story. What is it that, um, okay, and then one other very odd thing that apparently Helen can do. What is it that Helen does, even after making an agreement with Odysseus to help him steal the Palladium so that the Achaeans can sack Troy, what is it that she does outside the Trojan horse so well that one of the men, and I'll ask you his name in a moment, attempts to jump out of the horse and has to be restrained by Odysseus? Yes. She can make her voice sound like any wives. She can make her voice sound like the wives of any of these men, suggesting possibly that Helen is herself a symbol for all women, if she can embody or voice all of them. Yes, and this would be a bonus question. I'd be very impressed if anybody got this right. What is the name of the man who had to be restrained by Odysseus? Yeah, uh, yes. It is Anticlos. Very good. That's excellent. That's excellent. That's excellent. All right, second weird story we hear today. Menelaus tells this story. I'll start with a bonus question. What was the name of the island off the coast of Egypt that he found himself trapped on for 20 days because of unfavorable winds? Yes. Pharos. Very good. What is the name of the goddess who takes pity on him and his men and gives him the information he needs in order to catch Proteus, the old man of the sea? Yes. Adothia. Very good. What is the name of the old man of the sea? Yes. Proteus. And in fact, in our language, we call somebody who is constantly shape-shifting or changing protean. So, well, you say that about somebody who you never get a handle on who they actually are because it seems like they never stay one person for very long. They have a slippery character, you would say. In fact, that is what we say about people you can't quite trust, right? They're, they're slippery. They're slimy. You can't grasp them totally. Hmm. Very interesting. Sort of like, it's funny because we think that that's like a snake, but snakes actually aren't actually slimy, I'm told. They're very dry, but I don't often touch snakes, so I don't know. Is that true? That's interesting. We do think of them as slimy, though, right? But they're not slimy. They're dry. Huh. Odd. In any case, probably just because we associate them with other aquatic uh, reptiles that we don't like, like probably alligators. I bet they're pretty nasty, but I've never touched one of them, too. Though I have eaten crocodile in New Orleans before. Crocodile on a stick? Yes, it tasted like chicken. Yes. Okay, 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 okay. 
what is it? It probably wasn't. It probably wasn't. Well, what is it? Hmm. Which question do I want to even start with here? Menelaus catches Proteus. Name what things Proteus transforms into. Six of them. Yes, give it a shot. Is there one a lion? A lion, yes. A snake, a tree. Lion, snake, tree. Yes, those are all true. Water. Is it water? Water. Good. There are a couple others. Water, snake, tree, lion. That's what we've got so far, right? Yes? Leopard. Leopard, yes. And one more so far as I know. Yes. And a boar as well. Is there another? Serpent. Serpent, yes. Snake. Snake, snake, snake. Very good, very good, very good. Suggesting, we suggested that that means that the truth sort of changes its shape or is very difficult to grasp. And then, well, Proteus gives some very bad news to uh, Menelaus. First and foremost, he says, where do you have to go if you want to go home? Yes? Back to Egypt. Back to Egypt. And what do you have to do, which is going to take some amount of time to acquire the resources to do? He has to get Hecatomb. He has to sacrifice a Hecatomb, which is the biggest, largest, grandest sacrifice in the ancient Greek world. A hundred oxen. And this is not at his home, so where is he supposed to get the oxen? Well, it's like he's going to have to get a loan or something like that. It's going to take him time to do this. In any case, he also gets some other bad news. Two of his Two people that he cares for have died. Who are they? Yes. Agamemnon and Very good. Agamemnon, his brother, and Isolus are one of his friends. Seems like he's never going to get home, too. Who is that? Yes? Odysseus. Odysseus. Yes, very good, very good, very good. And, well, that was terrible. That was very terrible. Let's see. Anything else that I want to go over there? Ah, yes. Ah, yes. What did the suitors then discover, and what did they attempt to do? Based on that, yes? They discover that Telemachus, Telemachus, Telemachus uh, uh, that he left on one of their ships and they plot to kill him. And they plot to kill him. He's now a threat. He has taken the initiative to get a ship, to man the ship, to provide the provisions for the ship, and then to go off to the mainland of Greece. That means, or Argos, that means to the suitors that potentially Telemachus is mobilizing which means he is going to acquire troops to come back and kill the suitors. So they are now nervous about him, because as far as they are concerned, he is now a what? Threat. A threat. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Doesn't sound much like a child now. Doesn't sound much like a child now. Penelope then has her first of two dreams in this movie, or movie, epic poem. First and foremost, who sends this dream to comfort her, yes? Athena, indicating probably that this dream is going to tell the truth or lies. Wisdom. Truth, because it will provide wisdom, because she is the goddess of wisdom to those who are wise. She will fool those who are fools. Very interesting. Very interesting. What is it that she tells Penelope to make her feel slightly better, but not perfectly well? Yes. Tell her that Telemachus will return. Telemachus will be fine. Don't fret. Who does Penelope then ask after? Yes. I think that's so smart. She's like, well, if you're going to give me a little information about my son, you might as well tell me about my husband, too. I'm wondering about him. And then the dream says, no, no, no. I'm not going to babble uselessly. It's best not to talk about that sort of thing. I will not tell you whether he has lived or died. All right, good. Boom. Book five, The Liberation of Odysseus. Finally, we get to see our titular character, Odysseus, for whom the Odyssey is named. And we start... 
just as we started the beginning of the book, in the Olympian heaven on Olympus. And Athena is in council with Zeus. And she says, Please send Hermes to free Odysseus, Zeus, unless you have great hate for this man. Zeus says, I have no hate for this man. In fact, the only person who, or person, God, who seems to hate this man is Poseidon. And that's because this man blinded his son Polyphemus. But Poseidon, at this very particular moment, does not appear to be looking at Odysseus. He's not paying attention. He is, I believe, and I could look this up, maybe you can correct me, I think he has turned his attention to the Ethiopians. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, it is. Very good. This recalls to me a part of, and I think you should find this very funny and interesting. Most people don't make this parallel. Does this recall to you a moment in the Iliad when somebody turned his eyes from the fight to watch the Thracian Raiders and another god popped up? Yes. When Zeus turned his eyes. When Zeus turned his eyes, which god acted against his will? Yes. Ah, Poseidon. Now I want you to really notice this here in the Odyssey. Which god now turns his eyes away from that which he's been watching and which god acts against his will? Poseidon. Poseidon now turns his eyes and who acts against him? Ah, what goes around, comes around, students. What is it that we know about Greek mythology? That no matter how long it takes, what? Who knows it? Who can give the words? Yes? Wait. That no matter how long it takes, justice will be served. And what goes around, though it may take a long time to get around that mountain, will come right back around it. Very good. All right, Zeus agrees and prophesizes that, or prophesies that Odysseus will take a raft for 20 days <coughs> to reach a magical island with a magical people called the Phaeacians, called Scoria. And in fact, something weird about these Phaeacians, I'm going to tell you a lot of weird things about them. Here are two weird things. A, well, three things. A, Nobody can get to their island. Odysseus will be one of their very few visitors. It's one of those sort of magical islands where you generally only get there when you're already lost. Weird. Two, here's another weird thing. They're descended from giants. But they're no longer giants. And three, they are descendants of Poseidon. And who is it that's so angry at Odysseus right now? Ooh, so that could be sort of a dangerous, it could either be dangerous for Odysseus, if they decide that they are more loyal to him than to the Xenia, which will put them in an awkward situation, follow Poseidon, who sired them, or Zeus, who honors the Xenia, tricky, but it could also be a very dangerous situation for whom? Of course. Odysseus. For Odysseus, because if they decide that they want to follow the will of Poseidon, and Poseidon wants no good to happen to Odysseus, perhaps they will punish Odysseus for Poseidon. I don't know, perhaps. All right, in any case, Athena may also ensure that Telemachus makes it home without the suitors killing him. All right. Hermes descends to Ogygia, and perhaps I'll even read that quick bit. Always hard to open this text right to the right spot, even though I did. He spoke. 
nor disobeyed him the courier Agerfantes, recall that is Hermes' name, immediately he bound upon his feet the pair sandals, golden and immortal, they carried him over the water as over the dry boundless earth, the breast of the wind's blast. He caught up the staff with which he mazes the eyes of those mortals whose eyes he would maze or wakes again the sleepers. Holding this in his hands, strong Argifantes winged his way onward. He stood on Pieria and launched himself from the bright air across the sea and sped the wave tops like sheer water who along the deadly deep ways of the barren salt sea goes hunting fish and sprays quick beating wings in the salt run. In such a likeness, Hermes rode over much tossing water, but after he had made his way to the far-lying island, he stepped then out of the dark blue sea and walked on over the dry land till he came to the great cave where the lovely-haired nymph was at home, and he found that she was inside. There was a great fire blazing on the hearth, and the smell of cedar split in the billets, and sweet wood burning spread all over the island. She was singing inside the cave with a sweet voice as she went up and down the loom and wove with a golden mantle. There was a growth of grove around the cavern. Flourishing alder was there and black poplar, or poplar, excuse me, and fragrant cypress. And there were birds with spreading wings who made their nests in it. Little owls and hawks and birds of the sea with long beaks who were like ravens, but all their work is on the seawater. And right about the hollow cavern extended a flourishing growth of vine that ripened with grape clusters. Next to it, there were four fountains. It was a very Edenic description. And each of them ran shining water, each next to each. It's very similar to what uh, Milton's description of Eden will be in Paradise Lost. But turned to run in sundry directions. And round about there were meadows growing soft with parsley and violets. And even a god who came into that place would have admired what he saw, like Raphael will admire what is Adam and Eve's and Milton. The heart delighted within him. There the courier Argifantes stood and admired it. But after he had admired all in his heart, he went to the wide cave, nor did the shining goddess Calypso fail to recognize him. And when she saw him come into her presence, for the immortal gods are not such as to go unrecognized by one another, not even if one lives in a far home. All right. That is a description of Ojibwe. Many beautiful plants, many beautiful animals, including owls and hawks, four beautiful streams, and very fragrant, fragrant air. It's very much like a paradise there. And well, Calypso singing and weaving as her, these approaches, very feminine activities. In fact, we know uh, that... Helen and Penelope are talented weavers. In fact, part of Penelope's claim to fame is her weaving for three years and unweaving each night. Well, Calypso honors the Zinnia. She gives Hermes food and drink. And then Hermes explains, well, listen, Calypso, I'm not here for pleasure. I'm here for business. I did not choose to come here where men do not offer sacrifices to the gods, indicating that this is sort of a magical place without humans. I came here because Zeus has willed it, that Odysseus be freed after seven years of imprisonment with you in this paradise. And yet, a question you might well ask yourself is, if you are not free to leave a place, can it possibly be a paradise, even if it has everything you would ever want in it, minus freedom? And perhaps if you say no to that question, you can understand 
that the one thing you need in a place is freedom beyond any other thing. Very interesting idea there. And so, in any case, Calypso becomes very upset. She says she thinks that the reason why Hermes has come down to take Odysseus from her is because she is an immortal goddess. And he, Odysseus, is a mortal man. And she says, you gods are jealous. And now one thing you should know about Calypso, she is the daughter of Atlas, the, the god, the titan, who holds up the world. Technically, he holds up the sky, but every image of him shows him holding up the world. And now, something about Calypso that is not stated in the Odyssey is that she is cursed. And she has a curse based on the fact that she is Atlas's daughter. Atlas, who was a titan who lost in the battle between the Olympians and the titans. And the curse is this. Calypso, you shall forever be alone. And so when Hermes comes down to tell her that she must give up Odysseus, it's as if he's confirming, or it's as if he is confirming a fear that she's had all along. As if she's cursed forever to be alone, and yet she has a man who acts as her husband for seven years, what must she fear is going to certainly happen every day that he is there. That one day he must leave, of course. That one day he must leave. And she lists countless examples, not countless, counted examples would be a better way of saying this. Orion and Dawn. Demeter and Yasion. And now Calypso and Odysseus. The gods, they just don't much care for when it happens to be the case that, that uh, a god is loved by a person. In fact, uh, oddly, this, uh, this story, Orion and Dawn, and I might be wrong about this, but I, I think the traditional story, Orion the Great Hunter, the one with the three stars making up his belt in the constellation in the sky, the biggest constellation in the sky that we can even see out here in California, I think that the traditional story is that he was beloved by Artemis, though she was chaste. And at least the account I know is that Apollo became jealous of Orion, and then so he bet Orion that he couldn't swim across the sea, which is something that Thor ends up doing in the Norse mythology. And while Orion is swimming, Apollo goes down to speak to Artemis and says, you see that dot off in the distance? Bet you couldn't hit it with an arrow. That dot, of course, is whom? Orion. Orion. She, as the goddess of the hunt, has perfect aim, shoots her arrow. Who does she end up killing? Orion, the person she loves. And you might see that as a symbol for the things you love might kill you. If you're a hunter, how might you die? Not being hunted. You might die while hunting. Of course, of course. We have an expression to this day indicating that we understand that fact. Live by the sword. Die by the sword. Very good, very good. All right. Calypso says, Since Zeus, who none can stand against, has commanded that I free this man, I will free him, but I will not help him leave. Hermes says, make sure you do. And so what does that mean exactly? Well, that means that Calypso is going to tell Odysseus that he is allowed to leave her island, but she is not going to help him get a ship because, well... Seven years ago, when he showed up at Calypso's island, it had been after he had lost a ship because his men foolishly had eaten some food that they were not supposed to, and the lightning bolt had come and struck their ship, which had destroyed it, and Odysseus barely survived that. So when he came to Calypso's island, he, like uh, Bell's father in Beauty and the Beast, was a straggler. 
barely holding on to life. And so she nursed him back to health. And this is something that she says. I nursed this man back to health. I loved him like a husband. I, why is he being taken from me? And well, the reason is, is that is it Odysseus? Is it Odysseus's destiny to stay with Calypso? <coughs> no, absolutely not. He has responsibilities elsewhere. Justice. Who has responsibilities elsewhere and knows that? Who we talked about yesterday? Telemachus. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. And so Calypso comes to Odysseus. And our very first image of Odysseus, our noble hero that we get to see in this book is him crying on the beach. <laughs> Apparently, paradise is not well suited to Odysseus. It makes me think about the last days of summer. Just a quick poll. How many of you are usually kind of tired of summer by the end of summer and ready to do something new, even, even if it's school? And it's about half of the people putting their hands up. Some people are like, it'll never be school. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't you at some point get sort of bored during summer and think, nah, I could do something. No, some people know. Most people say yes. All right, in any case, Calypso approaches Odysseus, seemingly out of nowhere, says to him, you are free now. At first, he's very clever. He thinks this is a trick. And so he actually makes her swear on the river sticks that this is not a trick. And she, she smiles at him and says it isn't. And then she does swear on the river sticks. And then, well... And perhaps I'll read this to you just because this is a very, very interesting and tricky and telling sort of moment. Let me read two parts to you. This is her response after Odysseus thinks that she's trying to trick him in line 182. You are so naughty. <laughs> that alone lets you know that they're very close. So naughty. You can just tell that she's sort of smiling at him. And in fact, she, it says right before, so he spoke in Calypso's shining among divinities, smiled and stroked him like along the side of his face with her hand and spoke to him and named him. Does it sound like they have some affection shared between each other? They've known each other for years at this point. You are so naughty and you will have your own way in all things. See how you have spoken to me and reason with me. Earth be my witness in this and the wide heaven above us and the dripping water of the sticks, which oath is biggest and most formidable oath among the blessed immortals. And this is no other painful trial I am planning against you, but I am thinking and planning for you just as I would do it for my own self. If such needs as yours were to come upon me, the mind in me is reasonable, and I have no spirit of iron inside my heart, rather it is compassionate. So she's the opposite of which character from the Iliad whose heart was iron and would not change his will no matter what. Agalaus, mm. Agalaus, yes. And so she spoke, a shining goddess, and led the way swiftly, and the man followed behind her, walking in the god's footsteps. They put their, thing, their hands to good things. The serving maids serve nectar and ambrosia. Recall that's what the gods drink and eat. And this is where Calypso says something that I think this is, is very dangerous territory for Odysseus. Son of Laertes, line 203, in seat of Zeus, resourceful Odysseus, are you still all so eager to go back to your house and the land of your fathers? We all arch our eyebrow here. We're like, why is she asking this? I wish you well, however you do it. But if you only knew in your own hearts how many hardships you were fated to undergo 
before getting back to your country, you would stay here with me and be the Lord of this household and be an immortal for all your longing once more to look on that wife for whom you are pining all your days here. So the first thing she says is, are you so sure you want to go? You will definitely, surely, certainly, absolutely undergo many painful hardships out in the world if you leave here. It's very similar to the story of the fall, especially as Milton portrays it. Are you sure you want to go? And then she adds another bit, and this is the very dangerous bit for Odysseus, and we should note this. <clears throat> and yet, I think that I can claim that I am not her inferior, this is Odysseus's wife, either in build or stature, since it is not likely that mortal women can challenge the goddesses for build and beauty. So not only does Calypso say, you might not want to go out because there are going to be plenty of hardships, but <laughs> aren't I more beautiful than your wife? And you might imagine that what's happening with Odysseus here when she asks that question is, whoop, red alert, whoop, red alert, because how do you answer that question correctly? And very difficult to know. You definitely don't say, well, Calypso, actually, I really like my wife a lot more than you do. But then it's very tough to just... I always imagine there's a funny meme that has gone around for the past five or six years. Have you, any of you ever seen the third Star Wars Return of the Jedi? One Return of the Jedi, there's a character called Admiral Akbar, and he has a very famous line where he goes, it's a trap. I always think of that when I think of this particular uh, question that Calypso asks. It's a trap. Watch out, Odysseus. Okay, he has a very good response. Let's see how this clever man responds. Then resourceful Odysseus spoke in turn and answered her, line 214. Goddess and queen. That's a good way to start. Goddess and queen. Though queen over what, I know not. Do not be angry with me. I myself know that all you say is true and that circumspect Penelope can never match the impression you make for beauty and stature. Very wise. She is mortal, after all, and you are immortal and ageless. But even so, what I want in all my days I pine for is to go back to my house and to see my day of homecoming. And if some god batters me far out on the wine-blue water, who would that be who would batter him out on the wine-blue water? Yes? Very good. And I will endure it, keeping a stubborn spirit inside me. For already I have suffered much, done much hard work on the waves and into the fighting. So let this adventure follow. He says, come what will. But also notice that he's very smart in his response. Who does he say is definitely not more beautiful than Calypso? Who does he not say he wants to go home to see? He does not say that the reason he wishes to leave Calypso is to go to another woman, Penelope. He says that the reason he wishes to leave Calypso is to go to his home, where Penelope happens to be. Do you understand the subtle distinction there? He is not suggesting that he likes Penelope more than Calypso, which is very wise, because Calypso is, of course, a what? A goddess. And so, even though she has sworn on sticks to do no harm to Odysseus, it is probably in his best interest to keep her um, from becoming irritated or angry at him at this very difficult moment. All right, in any case, Odysseus agrees but says he must leave. 
So he gets to it. Calypso's not going to help him make a ship. Now, you should understand, he's about to go out on the sea. Going out on the sea with a full crew and a real ship is always dangerous because storms can come and waves and terrible things from the deep. Odysseus is about to go out on the sea on a raft, as in like five by ten raft with like, you know, a few logs beneath him and like a dinky mast on the sea, not a lake, the sea. And it takes him four days to make this raft. Well, then he leaves on the fifth. I want you to think about this. It's going to take him 20 days to get from where he is to where he's going. 20 days, that's almost three full weeks. It's a long time. How much food he has, hard to say. But this is what happens. 18 days pass. Who is it that you think turns his eyes from the Ethiopians and sees this annoying, ever anger-causing, gadfly-like mortal on his sea? Yes? Poseidon. Poseidon. And Poseidon says, oh, 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 Odysseus is on the sea again. I rule the sea. I've sworn either to kill him or to harry him as much as possible. Storm casts a storm on Odysseus, destroys Odysseus's raft. He's still two days away from where he's going. He's nowhere close. Terrible situation. He's only hanging on to one log before the sea will overwhelm him. What's going to happen? Well, we get a bit of a deus ex machina help from a god, a goddess who herself has a very tragic fate. This goddess, her name is Eno, also Loikothia. Loikothia means brightly shining goddess, uh, shining goddess. It is a name for any water goddess because when the sun is out, what does it do on the surface of water? It shines, it reflects, very good. And so Eno, and I'll just very quickly tell you, the reason that she is a goddess, like her husband Glaucus, is because she was um, she was cursed by, I believe it was Hera. It was either Hera or Aphrodite. It, it could have been another one. I believe it was Hera who cursed her. She had two sons to go insane and to take one son and throw him off a cliff. So that in order to save her other son, she threw herself off the cliff, sacrificed herself for her son. And so the gods, taking pity on her, made her immortal. And so now what she does is she helps sailors like Odysseus who are in very, very difficult times. And what she does is this. She approaches Odysseus. Now, she's a new goddess. Odysseus doesn't even trust goddesses that he knows very well. And so she says, here's a veil. A veil is something you cover your face with, like um, a ninja mask. That would be like a version of a veil. And so she says, if you take this veil, you will not drown over the next two days. Of course, Odysseus doesn't know her. He's very what about this offer? Skeptical. Skeptical, suspicious, of course, as he should be. But he realizes as another wave comes and destroys uh, what little part of the raft he still has, that he has no choice. So he accepts the gift from her. Something very interesting about this gift she offers. She makes one provision. She says, even though I am giving you this gift now, you must throw it back into the water after you're done. And I believe she even adds, without looking. And it is. She does add that. It's between lines 339 and 350. You must return to the sea without looking at it. Just 
two or three interesting things about that. In epic stories, often very magical things happen when humans cannot see them. If you ever read the Old Testament story of the creation of Eve by Adam, Adam is put to sleep so that he cannot see how that happens. Later in this story, when Odysseus is being transported at the speed of light from Scoria to Ithaca, he will fall asleep so that he does not see that. And just another additional correlate is that sometimes when gods give you magical objects in mythology, you have to give them back. Can anybody recall a bit of British mythology where a certain king is given a certain sword that he must then return upon his death to a lake? Yes? Arthur. King Arthur, who receives Excalibur from the Lady in the Lake which he must then, after he's killed while killing Mordred, his son, by his sister, Morgana, he must have that sword returned to the lake. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. All right, well, Odysseus arrives at Scoria. Two days he's been on the water with no raft at all, and obviously no what, too? No food, no sleep. You don't sleep in the water unless you sleep forever. You don't eat in the water unless you're a dolphin, some sort of fish, like a shark. <clears throat> I'm not going to have enough time to lecture on this because we're going to have to leave in 30 seconds, but I'm going to say two things and then we're going to resume this soon. Even though Odysseus gets to Scoria, it still takes him time to get onto the island. In fact, he has to pray to get on it. When he first tries to get on it, he gets thrown against the wall of the, the island. There is no beach there. And then, once he finally does get on there, and I will explain what he does, uh, a little more about this soon, what happens, is that he goes to sleep beneath two olive trees interwoven, and we will talk about them soon. All right, excellent day, y'all.